following is a production of Shark Flight Media. Now entering the nexus of geekery and guy world in three, two, one, mark. Do you know what the secret of life is? One thing, just one thing. You know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. This is the Dudes in Hyperspace podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Dudes in Hyperspace podcast. I am your host, Ian J. Malone, joined shortly by my usual partners in crime. That would be Rob Howe, Kevin Stevenson. Also got a fantastic guest who the video folks are looking at right about now in that little fourth square. Uh, Just a quick heads up, guys. We're doing things a little bit differently tonight. As you know, we've been kind of making the transition to video. I've been farting around with a bunch of different uh, digital effects and stuff to be able to get all my music and all that in here and be able to do it live and make it special and ah! And Windows Media Player sucks. So for you guys who uh, who watch the video portion of this show, you're getting it raw and straight up, man. It's like bourbon neat. That's what we're doing here. We're just hoping that it's good bourbon and not like Oh, you know, Heaven Hill or some crap who now will never sponsor this show. And that's fine. <laughs> uh, but anyway, all right. So on tap tonight, we're obviously going to be talking college football. We are uh, less than two weeks out now from week zero. And um, there's a lot of stuff to talk about from conference realignment to the state of the sport. And then obviously, you know, a whole season that's right in front of us. So we're going to get to get uh, here in just a second. Before we do, though, got to say thanks to our presenting sponsor. That's, of course, Chris Kennedy Publishing. Love those folks, man. Uh, readers. Doesn't matter what you're into, man. If it's military, science fiction, space opera, urban fantasy, they got it all over there. Log on to chriskennedypublishing.com. Check out their books, their series, their authors. Be sure you sign up for the email while you're there. Get yourself a free ebook in the process. They are a message-free sci-fi with a slice of fantasy. They are Chris Kennedy Publishing. Site again, chriskennedypublishing.com. I'd also be remiss, given our guest tonight, if I didn't remind you guys that the Dudes in Hyperspace podcast Proud member of the Believe Podcast Network, which is the number one podcasting network on the net for professionals. You can find them at Believe.com. Doesn't matter what you're into there either, man. If you're into sports podcasts, they got it in spades. Football season, they will get you primed. Literary, politics, pop culture, variety, interviews. Again, it's all right there. Believe.com. They are the Believe Podcast Network. So I'm going to go ahead and bring in my guys real quick. Rob, Kevin, how are we doing this evening, gents? Doing well. Doing well. Can't wait for the season to start. I'm sure, given that you were a Georgia Bulldogs fan living in Georgia less than an hour from Athens, that you were ecstatic for the upcoming season. Yeah, and five <laughs> years on campus in the RTC department. Yeah, it's all there. A little, little bit. Rob, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. I'm enjoying the NFL preseason because <laughs> I live in Kansas, and our best football team is uh, was K-State. Well, probably still Pittsburgh State down in Division Two or whatever it is these days. <laughs> Well, you know, hey, man, if lower level football and, and FCS football, the, you know, the, the smaller stuff is what you're into, then our guest tonight can definitely, definitely be able to talk with you about that. That is quite possibly the greatest segue in the history of this show. <laughs> uh, of course, I am talking about the one, the only Mr. Joe DeLeon. He is the host of the NFL Draft Prospects podcast, also the FCS football podcast, and also a proud member of the Believe Podcast Network. Joe, how you doing tonight, man? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm juiced up after that that wonderful uh, wonderful open you gave me. But you, you guys hit the the nail on the head, though. We got preseason football. We've got the regular season right around the corner. But most importantly, the big premier events coming this upcoming weekend. We get to watch Hawaii play against Vanderbilt. 
and Nebraska play Northwestern. I, I'm just juiced up. I just want some college football. I was just about to say, man, we all do it. Like every year you look at the schedule and yeah, you're counting down to your team, but it's like, man, look at Kent State playing on Saturday night. I could watch some <laughs> Kent State. Book. I think I might even grill a burger. It's Kent State. <laughs> yeah, you know, because we're just so ready for the for the game to get here. But um Listen, we're we're going to start with uh, with with kind of a state of the state of the sport, man, um, and that is in large part obviously because we've had enormous news in college football, groundbreaking, earth shattering news, the the kind of stuff that changes the the landscape of the sport kind of news since the last time you were on the show. Uh, I'm obviously talking about USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten. Um, this has reopened the, the floodgates, as it were, most expected it will reopen the floodgates for conference realignment. So now we're back at it, man. It's musical chairs. Where's everybody going? What's Notre Dame going to do? Is the Big 12 going to actually hold on to these new schools that they got? Is the Pac-12 going to poach some of their people? Will they poach the Pac-12? Will those two team up, poach some teams from the ACC? Will ESPN let them get along? A grant of rights, media rights, like, mass chaos, mass hysteria, dogs and cats living together kind of stuff. But we'll start with kind of the story that broke all of this open over the summer, and that's USC and UCLA. As a guy who follows this sport professionally and as a former player who who lived college football, what went through your mind when you saw that shot heard around the world of those two steeped in history universities heading to the Big Ten? The, the big thing for me that, that stood out is – that this is now the first wave towards creating small, sorry, not small, large conferences, but a small amount of them. Yeah. And we originally got that with the, with the Texas, Oklahoma shift, but I, I don't think that the impact is as large as USC and UCLA deciding to join the big 10. Now, right. Oklahoma and Texas are much bigger brands joining the sec and the sec is going to be the more powerful conference in the circumstance. But where things start to shift is that these teams are coming from California. Yeah. Regionally, it made sense for Texas and Oklahoma to go play in the SEC because they're relatively southern teams. They're a little bit more out west, but they're regionally not that far away from some of these SEC programs. But now we're at this point where it's free game. It is free yep. reign for conferences to go and steal whatever teams that they want. That then opened up the door, which was discussed Utah. Uh, where does Washington go? Right. There's now a, a hunt for Notre Dame to possibly join the Big Ten. There are all these conf- all these teams that are now up for grabs. Does the Pac-12 go away? It is going to be a fight for power, and, and I think that we'll either have some type of a merger or, if anything, a completely dissolvement of the Pac-12, the Big 12. There is going to be a complete shift, and I think eventually we're going to have less conferences, and it's going to be three major big conferences, maybe even two. Yeah. while there's all these other smaller group of five teams that compete at a, a different level. Yeah. Yeah. Oregon is the one that I'm, I'm really watching and not because frankly, anybody outside of Eugene really gives a crap about duck football, but more because the guy who runs duck, duck football is the guy who owns Nike and Nike has a real big stick to wield in college mm-hmm. football. And that being Phil Knight, uh, depending on which media outlet you read, whether it's OutKick or whomever, He's he's working the phones to find out where the Ducks are going to land. And I'm going to be real interested to see how that shakes out with the Pac-12. Because honestly, man, I mean, even if they bring in San Diego State, I don't see what they have to sell to a network. 
I really don't. I don't I don't see how they have something to pitch when they sit down at the table. I mean, what do you think about that with the Pac-12? Do, you, do they have a card to play? I, I really don't think they do. And I think that their best move is to, to get in cahoots with the Big 12 and say like, hey, we want to stay alive. We want to work with you. If they merge with the Big 12, that is a large conference. It still has a strong list of brands. You can coax some of your stronger Pac-12 brands. Like Oregon is probably going to leave like what you just talked about. Phil Knight wields so much power. He's going to want to be in the best position to succeed. And it might make sense for them to join the Big Ten with that now regionality of the two West Coast teams joining. But if you can bait Utah, Washington, Washington State, uh, Cal, Stanford into staying and then competing in this Pac-12, Big 12 merger, that's their best move because who are they going to go steal? They're not going to get anyone from the Big the Big Ten. Those right. teams are going to want to stick together in what is turning into a big conference. They're definitely not going to get anyone from the SEC. The best that they can do is steal from the American or steal from the, the Mountain West. And right. those brands are decent. You mentioned South... Uh, San Diego State and like yeah. that's a decent brand, but that's right. not going to turn move the needle at all. Yeah, it seems like the last time we went through this whole song and dance with conference realignment back in I guess the the early two thousands, it was all about media markets. All right, so you went and you got Syracuse in the ACC, not because anybody gives a crap about Syracuse football, at least not since like Marvin Harrison played for them, uh, <laughs> but it was because you wanted the New York market. You wanted to be able to sell that to advertisers. Listen, Syracuse is in our conference. You know, that means we're going to have an opportunity to play the ACC basketball tournament in Madison Square Garden. We're on, you know, we're on television sets in, in the New York market. Uh, you know, same thing with Georgia Tech. Nobody, I can tell you, and Kevin can speak to this too. Nobody cares about Georgia Tech football, not even most of their alumni base. But the, the same thing was done also, right. The, and the same thing too was done for Rutgers joining the, the Big Ten. Yes. No, I'm from New Jersey. No one cares about Rutgers football. It could right. be much better recruiting entity considering the yep. amount of recruits that come out of New Jersey, but they added them so that they could have a tri state uh, uh, identity. Yeah. And now they but do. This time seems different. It seems like this round of conference realignment, and you just touched on it a second ago, is about brand. It is about who has cachet. And it doesn't matter if you're in a a small market or if you're in a major city. It's about whether or not you have cachet, whether or not you bring eyeballs to television sets. Because, again, nobody, nobody cares about Rutgers football. They do, however, care about Miami football. They do, however, care about Florida State football. They obviously care about North Carolina kind of football, but definitely in basketball. So that kind of leads me to my next question. We got a lot of folks in ACC country who watch and listen to this show. They're a bit of a different animal because, you know, the Big 12, the Pac-12, um, you know, these they are talking about media rights that are coming due with their net, you know, with their television partners in the next two years, three years. ACC has their people locked up through like 2036 with ESPN through this grant of rights deal. So that makes them a different animal. How do you see things shaking out with the ACC? Yeah, I think that the ACC could potentially be the next domino to fall for losing brands. You just mentioned all of those big programs, Clemson, Florida State, North Carolina, uh, Miami. You hear these murmurs that the SEC is looking to add any of those teams to their conference. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's the next move for them is to not stray too far west. Instead, try to add all these southern teams in the ACC. I just think in general, having seen me being a Notre Dame fan, having seen Notre Dame have this loose partnership with the ACC for football, yeah, 
I just don't think that that conference has very been empowered properly. They have no. so many strong brands that have not really been relevant. And I think a lot of those programs, deservedly so, should feel disgruntled that they haven't been in a position to succeed. They are not in a, you know enough primetime slots. They're locked into that contract for a very, very long time. So they can't renegotiate for a deal that the Big Ten just got for a billion plus a year right. for seven years. I really do think that some of those brands are going to say, Hey, you know, let's go to the sec. Let's do what Texas and Oklahoma did. We want to, we want to be in a position to succeed. We want to be a part of the conference that is, uh, that is growing and expanding and that has premier football. And in general, they just want more money. I, right. I and just justifiably. So, well, am I wrong to think that ESPN is the, is the entity that will make that final decision? Because the way that I see it, ESPN holds all the cards here because of the grant of rights deal. I feel like the only way they let the ACC crumble without commanding top dollar in return is if the Big Ten makes another play and adds, let's say, you know, Utah, Oregon, Washington, and maybe a fourth team. Then at that point, the SEC says, okay, now we have to expand. What are we going to get? Well, there's nothing left out of the slim pickings of the Big 12 uh, to, to be able to go out and find something. And I think the ACC is a deteriorating brand and a deteriorating product for ESPN. So at that point, it makes sense for them to say, okay, now we're willing to let Clemson, Florida State, Miami, and Virginia Tech leave the ACC and go to the SEC. I think barring that first domino by the Big Ten expanding again, I don't know that ESPN lets the ACC get touched. Am I off on that logic? I, I don't I don't think so. But one thing that always needs to be brought up in these discussions and you kind of let into this is this realignment there's people moving the strings in the background that we don't see and oftentimes actually not oftentimes it is a hundred percent these media conglomerates these networks that are pushing some of these conferences in these directions so espn is going to have some influence they're right. going to want what is going to produce the highest quality of football so I think them having a connection to the SEC and the ACC, they're not necessarily losing money in that circumstance. If the if the quality of the ACC deteriorates, some of those teams leave and they go to the SEC, they're still profiting. They right. still own those schools and own those schools playing in those football games. So I, I would argue that it makes it easier for them, if anything, to pull those strings in the in the background and, and right. maybe nudge some of those programs into moving towards the SEC. Right. I, I would... I would tell you, I think that the the ACC teams you're talking about, the Miamis, the Florida States, and the Clemsons, I would believe it behooves the Big Ten to make a play on those clubs more than it does the SEC because at that point now the Big Ten is truly a national coast-to-coast -coast conference. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and I think that it's going to be a race to try and communicate and, and coerce those schools into moving, and I wouldn't be shocked if – Say you get a Miami and a Florida State who who join the SEC, and then North Carolina and Georgia Tech end up joining the Big Ten. Like I, I it could very well just be a, a battle for grabbing what other whatever schools that you can get a hold of uh, in the in this fight. And it it is really trying to establish which conferences can cover the most ground. Uh, but no, I, I think the Big Ten can't just sit and rest on the the assumption that they can grab as many Pac-12 teams and Big 12 teams as possible, they need to start attacking territorially a little bit more towards the, the Southeast.
Yeah, agreed. Well, you touched on them just a minute ago, and so I want to go back to them. Notre Dame. Uh, report surfaced this week that Notre Dame uh, sources say they're circling a, a you know re-signing with NBC uh, for an exclusive deal that would keep them independent uh, to the tune of around $60 million a year. Uh, you know, I think you look at what teams are conceivably going to get from the new Big Ten deal, and I see a pretty big disparity between – 100 million plus a year versus the 60 that Notre Dame is going to get. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, A, do you think they will stay independent? And B, do you think that's the right move for them or should they look to one of these super conferences? I think the time is, I've always been anti Notre Dame conference talk, but I think in what the landscape is going to be in five to 10 years, they're not going to have a choice. And they're, you know, they're the pretty girl at the dance that everyone's looking at right now. All these other options are great backup options, but Notre Dame ultimately has the, the more options to decide. They're not tied to a conference that they have to figure out how they can wiggle their way out of. They're single. They're open for business right now with all these conferences and their branding, a good Notre Dame football team, a top 10 Notre Dame football team, doesn't just get you eyes from the Midwest. It gets you eyes from all over the country. It is one of the few fan bases nationally that has people from New Jersey, California, from Florida, from all over the country that people root for Notre Dame. What becomes complicated now is that Notre Dame has always benefited significantly from the ability to negotiate their own broadcasting rights. They always had the NBC deal. They always had a really good relationship with NBC. And in the past, it was financially made more sense to them because Absolutely. they were only paying for Notre Dame. They didn't have to have any rev share. They didn't have to share any of the revenue outside of the broadcasting deal. But now as you're talking about, there's a lot more money to be made. Uh, and I think that this broadcasting deal is either going to put, I, I think it puts less pressure on Notre Dame to make a decision and more so puts pressure on NBC to make a decision and make a move. Because yeah. it, as long as Notre Dame's going to come back to this negotiation and say, we're going to go to the Big Ten as long as you don't give us the same amount that is being paid for for the revenue split for these Big Ten teams. Like that's yeah. what's going to come down to. It's it's now, if anything, an added bargaining chip for more money. And if NBC can't cough up those dollars, then I I, I think that it, their best bet is to move to the Big Ten. Makes sense regionally. SEC folks hate Notre Dame, so I don't think that they would be welcomed as as easily. But th- there's a lot of options open for them, and they just need to make a decision soon. So now if you had to look into your crystal ball and let's look five years down the down the line here, how do you see all of this shaking out? Are we looking at two super conferences, big big 20, whatever you want to call them versus the SEC? Uh, or is is there legitimately a chance that Pac-12, Big 12 merge together and give us a third entity and we're looking at three? Or am I just completely off based on all this? I mean, how do you see this shaking out? I think that there's just so many different directions that it can go in, which makes it it complicated to to properly navigate. I think what logically makes the most sense with the Big Ten and the SEC being the you know the two biggest power pieces that made the two biggest moves at the start, everyone else is going to be scrambling. I think it's going to probably be three or four massive conferences that are going to have a lot of teams. I wouldn't be shocked if any of these group of five teams or uh, conferences rather. Don't dissolve if if those teams are getting handpicked out and and they're being removed. Ultimately, right. I think what is going to lead to to proper success is you got to. I always point to the model of of how the Premier League is structured and the Champions League and yeah. and how they compete. 
I think that you need to have as many large conferences as possible, provide incentives for relegation. I, I don't think that we need to watch yeah. Vanderbilt play when they don't really care. They're not going to put their money behind it. They're not going to, they're focused on academics. Let them play at a second tier level of the SEC. Let the big dogs in the top 15 compete. And the winner of that conference then goes on to play in a tournament for the national championship. There needs to be so much done, but I think Greg Sankey, who was one of the first people to allude to this uh, recently of, of having a similar structure to the premier league. I think that we slowly could move towards something that looks along those, those lines. Yep. Agreed. Kind of a sub question to that because you very much work in this space. How do you see this rippling out into FCS? Uh, do you see the, the, the Wake Forests of the world um, kind of falling into that tier and maybe FCS taking on a little bit of a, of a facelift as a result of kind of the influx of new teams that honestly don't bring anything to the table for the super conferences? I, I think there's also a lot of ambiguity for the FCS, but the, the interesting thing right now, there's, there's actually there, its own version of the FBS realignment happening at the FCS level. So I, I played college football at the University of Rhode Island, and we played in the CAA. And every year, there's always a good CAA team that moves up to the F- FBS every couple of years. James Madison is the most recent one who used to kick the, the, you know, knock the doors off us when we played them. But what the CAA has done since, instead of adding one team to replace uh, James Madison, they added three. And they're going around grabbing all the best programs in all these smaller conferences and slowly adding them. And I think Joe D'Antonio, who I've spoken to numerous times, really brilliant guy, realizes that he can build up his own massive FCS conference. And I think if you position yourself properly, maybe one of these big conferences says, you know, hey, you'll be our sub-conference. You know, like we have right. some type of an affiliation if there is some type of, of relegation, but there is starting to be a reshuffling. I think there needs to be less FCS conferences. I think there are also too many FCS programs. Some of them should be moved down to Division Two because there's just a, a lack of talent, a lack of participation, okay. uh, a lack of quality play on the field. But I, I don't think FCS is going to hurt from this. There, okay. There's always going to be value in FCS for, for smaller schools. Yep. And I know a lot of people who would say, you know what, if you want college football the way that we used to love it, FCS is where you're going to find it. The money has yeah. not corrupted that yet. If you want legacy, if you want traditions, if you want home and homes, all of the stuff that made college football what it was and frankly, what it's not really anymore. Um, you know, FCS is where you can go find it. So that's um, that's good stuff. And yet another reason why folks should be checking out the FCS football podcast. Ha <laughs> <laughs> Nice so segue. Hey man, I'm, I'm on fire tonight, baby. I'm, I am bringing the hit, bringing the heater, Vaughn. <laughs> so let's let's talk about the season itself. We are uh, we are on the precipice of 2022, brand new season. Hope springs eternal, especially if you're one of like five teams. Uh, so most of your preseason polls are out now. Usual suspects uh, in in no particular order: Alabama, Georgia, uh, Ohio State. Maybe you get a Texas A and M in there. Um, you know, that's that's kind of the Clemson maybe gets a, a nod or two if DJ can come around this year. But that's pretty much what you're dealing with. So, I mean, what are your thoughts? What what are the big stories that you're looking into, you know, bird's eye going into this season? What are the big stories that you're following out of the gate? Yeah, the obviously is how does Alabama bounce back after losing a national championship game? You, you look at how talented this roster is yet again across the board they added a number of transfers uh a guy like Jameer Gibbs I think is is being underrated as 
a potential maybe Heisman candidate for how freaking good he was at Georgia Tech and being misused. The guy is really athletic. I'm paying attention right. to what Alabama does. How does Georgia bounce back after losing pretty much their whole defense? Can Stetson Bennett properly get this team in a position to win? Is he even the starting quarterback by the end of the season? That remains to be seen. But we now enter this debate of, you know, where are the rest of the remaining teams in that three and four spot for the eventual college football playoff? There are so many directions that you can go. And Michigan didn't really lose uh, that many players. Michigan State returns key players. Their major loss was was Kenneth Walker. And outside of that, that, you know, they're returning big time guys. Ohio State is in a position to to bounce back after what was a, a down year for them, even though they only had a, a couple of losses. The main ones for me are how do these new look big brand teams perform in USC and Texas? Texas was a, a, a prime sleeper candidate for a lot of people, but they're dealing with serious injuries. They just lost Isaiah Nair. They just lost a starting offensive lineman and a running back. They are hurting right now. I don't think we should be buying in on Texas because of those injuries, but USC, uh, after all the moves that they made, is going to compete. I think that they're probably one of the most overvalued teams in the country right now because despite having all that talent and going and getting all those dudes, there are a lot of holes on that roster. That offensive line is weak. There's a lot of holes on that defense. Right. So questions to be had for USC, but there's going to be a push for these bigger brands now that they can rely on NIL to, to help grow their programs. Right. Yeah, I'm going to be interested to see what uh, what USC looks like under you know kind of the Lincoln-Riley era. Uh, you know, listen, say what you want about the guy. He can scheme some stuff open. So I, I take your point about the offensive line, and I would say that is a huge, huge thing if they were heading into the Big Ten this year. But fact is they're still in the Pac-12. And Riley's a pretty innovative guy. You can bet he is he is some scheming some stuff up in the film room to be able to mitigate some of those shortcomings on that, you know, on that roster. Um, you know, a lot of new coaches and new places this year. Uh, we've got, you know, Billy Napier, obviously, down at Florida. We've got Mario Cristobal down at Miami. Uh, we've got Tony Elliott at Virginia, Lincoln Riley, obviously, at USC. Brent Venables heading back to Oklahoma as the head coach. A lot of eyeballs to see what Brent Venables is going to do in his first head coaching spot. Uh, any of these names jump out at you as being, oh, man, that guy's going to tear it up? Or, no, I don't think that was the right fit. I think this guy missed out. Yeah, I think the big one for me is is Billy Napier heading to Florida. He's okay. been a little bit slow in the in the recruiting trail, but I, I think that he fits properly with what needs to be reset with that with that uh, atmosphere, that environment in the locker room. I have high expectations for Napier, and I, I think that that was a a fantastic hire for them. The, the one that I'm a little bit worried about is is Brent Venables going to to Oklahoma. I I don't know if I'm necessarily bought in. We're already getting these these crazy murmurs after you have an assistant coach step down of saying something inappropriate in the locker room. And then there's a that I read off somebody else's iPad that wasn't mine at all. The craziest part about that, though, is that you hear that apparently the coaching staff tried to get the players to not say anything and just leave the coach on the staff, which is concerning. That's not how you start off on the on the right foot. And that's not verified by me. I don't have exact information, but if there's even an ounce of credibility to those rumors, that's problematic. A, 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 A roster that is not bought in on a head coach is very scary. And it's weird that Venables, after all these opportunities to go to other schools, after all these years on what was a little bit of a down year last year for Clemson, 
Now he goes to Oklahoma. I just think there's something about him that he's a really good coordinator, and I don't know if I can buy right. in on him on a, at a head coach, and we've never seen it. And this is right. this is a year, and the next couple of years are, are opportunities for him to prove uh, prove us wrong. Yeah, no, I'm I'm watching the Brent Venables move as well for that very question. Uh, is he a coordinator that's meant to be a head coach, or is he a head coach that's going to be back to being a coordinator here in a couple of years, and that be that? Um, I, I mean, I I understand his, and I actually applaud his patience with staying at Clemson as long as he did. He wasn't leaving that opportunity unless it was a golden golden opportunity to jump to, and it's hard to argue with Oklahoma. I mean, good Lord, from a cachet standpoint, from a money standpoint, from a booster support standpoint, it's it's Oklahoma. It's Boomer Sooner. Of course, you're going to take that head coaching job. You'd be an idiot not to. Um, I'm going to be interested to see, speaking of Clemson, what they are this year. To me, I think you're about to find out once and for all what Dabo Sweeney is as a head coach. You know, he deserves all the credit in the world for surrounding himself with some wonderful assistant uh, assistant coaches whether it's Tony Elliott, whether it's Brent Venables. I mean, he's he's always been very good at surrounding himself with good quality people. Well, now all of those assistants that have helped make Clemson Clemson are all gone, and it's on him to start this all over again. You know, it's, this is Dabo Sweeney's team. So I'm going to be really interested to see what Clemson is. Of, of the ones that you didn't mention that I am kind of interested to see and kind of spinning off of Clemson for a second – I really like Tony Elliott. I have for a long time. He was the offensive coordinator for a whole lot of years. Um, was was really you know credited with being that guy who developed Trevor Lawrence, who developed Deshaun Watson, uh, you know, and made them kind of the new quarterback. You, I don't think there's going to be a ton of expectation on him at Virginia. And I think if he can get some people to buy in, and he can get just a little bit of talent up there in in Charlottesville, I, I think he's a guy that he would not be at Virginia very long. He will be the guy that, you know, if he gets enough success there, they will be calling him for a job at Oklahoma or Texas or wherever the next big blue chip opportunity is. Um, any coaches that you see coming into this year as being on the hot seat? Um, obviously, I'm down in Tallahassee, or I'm in Panama City, which is right down the road from Tallahassee. A lot of people think this is a money year for Mike Norvell at Florida State. It's year three. You got to do it this year, man. It's time to win some games. Uh, anybody you're watching at this year saying, you better perform, buddy, or you're probably going to be on the outs. Yeah, the the big one that you just mentioned there is with Florida State and Norvell. He's not done a consistent job with recruiting. I think the the big mark on his resume is not only poor performances, losing to FCS teams, but you also lost the number one recruit in the country this past cycle who chose Jackson oh. State in an FCS program. So we're going to go down that road, are we? Okay. But like that's losing a guy like that that was committed the whole way through. Like that's right. that that's where you lose. Like that's how you put together sure. bad programs is when you have sure. recruits that make decisions like that, which right. I'm excited to see what Travis Hunter does. But to lose him after he was committed that or, or close to committing, that is very problematic. I think Norvell is a big one. Sarkeesian's not off the hot, uh, uh, you know, off the, off to a great start. We we need right. to yep. him to turn things around and at least show positive signs of of progression. One big one that I think is the the biggest of the the group is Scott Frost. I thought he should have been fired from Nebraska this past year. Underwhelming recruiter, underwhelming results in the field. Uh, they have been abysmal offensively, defensively, and on special teams, which is astronomical that he's failed at every facet of the game 
Nebraska is no longer the brand that it used to be. It is no longer able to recruit the way that it was. And I just think that Scott Frost is is the most likely to get fired. And let, they they would need a miraculous season for for him him to stick around. What are your thoughts on Jimbo Fisher heading into this year? Uh, obviously, he's not on the hot seat because they can't afford to. I mean, they could afford to buy him out, but the price tag to do that yeah. is just ridiculous. There's a guy who's been at Texas A&M now for for going on what three years this year, three or four for him. You're four, I think. Uh, you know, he just bought the number one recruiting class in the nation. If you believe Nick Saban. You know, you've got all the resources in College Station, man, to make it happen. You've been cranking out consistent three-loss seasons every year. How, you know, what kind of heat is on Jimbo Fisher to actually deliver something this year in College Station to Texas A&M? I don't think there's heat just yet. I think the Texas A&M fan base and the alumni and the school understand that this is a long-term project to move away from the, the previous struggles of the the last regime. But what we see now is, though, you know, they got that number one recruiting class. The results of that class are not going to be seen until two years from now. Mm-hmm. They are a bunch of freshmen. Very few are going to step on the field. What you still have is a lot of underrated, really talented guys on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. We have to determine who's the starting quarterback. Is is Haynes King going to be the starter at the beginning of the season? He's a right. great athlete. I don't think that this is going to be a top five team this upcoming season. I think realistically two to three losses is is what the outcome is going to be. Uh, but in a couple of years, that Texas A&M roster is going to be really good. They could be as good as Georgia was. That This mm-hmm. is exactly what Georgia did to get good is that they chipped away at recruiting classes. And then finally, a really good recruiting class was all upperclassmen and they won a national championship with those guys. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to watch and see what plays out with Jimbo. Um, listen, I mean, there's a very big school of thought in Tallahassee. And listen, I'll give you, I'm sure some of this is sour grapes. Jimbo is the best nine and three coach you'll have um, when he doesn't have a generational quarterback. When we got Jameis, history speaks for itself. But without that, without that one player, man, that guy found a way to lose at least one game every year that just left you punching your own face. Mm. How did you let that happen? I don't think he can do that at College Station, at least not for a prolonged period of time. Who's our Cincinnati this year? Uh, who's who's the UCF, the Cincinnati, the you know the little team that could that that you know make some noise and maybe challenges for that fourth spot in the college football playoff? Anybody you're watching? Uh, well, first of all, I, I think that it's it's highly unlikely that we end up getting another Cincinnati. But if somebody's yeah. strong finishes in the top twelve, maybe. Fresno State's a team to pay attention to. Okay. Uh, they have a very talented roster. Jake Hayner is very underrated quarterback. But I also look at what Houston's doing with Dana Holgerson. If I mm. recall correctly, this this year or next year is their first year in the Big 12. But they are – actually, no, I think it's next season. Houston, though, has really turned the corner since Dana Holgerson took over. Uh, they have a very underrated roster. And he is recruited effectively. If someone has like a really well-coached team that right now, I believe they're also ranked that just shocks a couple teams and and just has a really consistent one loss season. I think Houston's probably one of the most likely. Yeah. Houston's an interesting prospect and they have been for some time, Uh, you know, dating back to even when Kendall Bryles was still there running his crazy offense. Um, You know, not, not surprising that they were one of the squads that the big 12 went out to try and grab in order to fill that hole that was left by Oklahoma and Big 12, uh, Oklahoma and Texas in the Big 12. Got any players you're looking at this year? Uh, obviously, it's way, way, way too early to talk about Heismans and front runners and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, is there three or four players that you're watching going into this season saying this could be a magical year for that guy? 
I think the big one I mentioned earlier and, and my main one is is Jameer Gibbs. Jameer is a really talented runner, very misused at Georgia Tech, wasn't getting yeah. enough touches, and he's stepping into a team that's well coached. There's going to be an emphasis on trying to slow down the passing game. It's going to open up a lot of rushing lanes. We've seen Alabama running backs win Heisman's before, and I think he is a dark horse Heisman candidate stepping into the situation uh, that he is now in. Caleb Williams is going to have a fantastic season in his second year under Lincoln Riley, now at USC. He's got so many weapons to throw the ball to. Uh, he's got Travis Dye to hand the ball off to. He is going to be in a position to succeed. But the one I'm I'm looking closely at also in terms of can he take a step forward is Will Levis. Will Levis is all the tools at Kentucky to be an elite quarterback, but the guy has really a lot of head-scratching decisions that he makes. Uh, he is very hard to watch at times uh, as a prospect to evaluate, and I think if he can clear up some of those issues, he could be very highly drafted in this com- upcoming NFL draft. Cool. Last question I got for you, and then I'm going to throw it to uh, my guys here before we let you get out of here for the night. We really appreciate you, man. It's been a pleasure chatting with you on this stuff. One of my favorite of topics to wrap about in the world. Uh, let's let's look into that crystal ball again. Give me your four playoff teams, and who do you see winning it all? I think uh, if we're going four playoff teams, Alabama, Georgia, um, I think that Oh man, and at number four, number three is probably going to be Ohio State. You know, assuming that they they end up beating Michigan, and then there's always like a Pac-12 team that sneaks their way in uh, into the final final wave. There, I think Utah is a really underrated program. They didn't really lose a whole lot. I think Utah is somebody to pay attention to. If there's like a fourth team that sneaks in that doesn't really do any well and gets their butt kicked by Alabama, mm-hmm. but I think this is going to be the year that Alabama gets Georgia back. I think it's probably going to be another Alabama Georgia matchup. At the very least, Alabama, Ohio State, and Alabama is going to get back to where they were. Uh, very rarely do you see Nick Saban lose in, in back-to-back uh, yep. national championship games. Yep, no, nope, totally agree. I notice, also notice you're taking a pass on Clemson there, so maybe not so much faith in Brother Dabo, huh? Yeah, I, I, I think it's a little bit of an uphill battle for for them. All it takes is one silly loss in the ACC, and they're out of contention. Yep, totally agree. All righty, guys, I'm going to go ahead and throw it to my guys. Kevin Stevenson, I will start with you. Obviously, you're a big-time SEC guy with a real finger on the pulse of that conference in Georgia specifically because of where you're at and where you're from. You got any questions for Joe that uh, that I should have asked and I didn't? Do you know the big news came out with the, you know the billion dollars a year uh, television stuff going on with with the Big Ten, which I find the title Big Ten laughable because was there fourteen teams in there right now? But anyhow, whether or not they can count is irrelevant because they can obviously. Um, where's the incentive to bring in more teams? Because a lot of times these conferences vote on bringing in this team and that team. Why would Maryland, Rutgers, Indiana, Illinois say yes? Bring in two more teams and let's cut our share of the revenue down out of this billion dollars a year. Why? That doesn't make business sense. Well, I think Rutgers and Maryland entered the Big Ten being happy to be there. But I think the guys at the top justifiably are going to bring those discussions up. But the pushback ultimately is this is for the next contract. This isn't for this current contract. You might have to split a little bit more. But once this turns into one of the super conferences, we're going to be able to negotiate for a lot more. The other thing, too, is that you, you don't want to miss out and stop expanding here. And the SEC and these other conferences end up out expanding the Big Ten. I think all these these teams understand that it is a, an arms race to get as many teams in as possible, as many quality brands as possible. If they put up a fight, it's only going to hurt themselves. 
Rob, how about you, man? You got any questions for Joe? I do. It's a little bit whimsical, but uh, my uh, my focus uh, a lot of times on the show is the NFL draft. And so I have a, a, a question for you for some players to watch. I noticed from your bio online that you were a long snapper at uh, Rhode Island. <laughs> so every year there are two or three long snappers on Dane Brugger's big, big board. So are there any long snappers we should be paying attention to? I, I I always get stumped with this question. I've been brought it's it's been asked me so many times <laughs> just this year alone. Uh, and sadly, I don't have an answer. You think for the amount of times I've been asked already this offseason, I would have an answer. Uh, sadly, I don't. The thing with long snappers is it doesn't even matter if you're the guy who's drafted. It's just the situation you land in. And, uh, you know, if you can win that competition, it's always almost to an extent random which snapper gets signed. There's guys like Steve Wirtel, who he was very high priority out of Iowa State a couple of years ago, and he got cut from the Lions uh, when he came out, and he just got removed from the Packers roster after he made mistakes in the in the playoffs. So I I think it's it's always up in the air, and it's I always have fun watching it because it, I, it's you know close to home for me. Yeah, I figured it was close to home. <laughs> Sorry for throwing you the hardball question there. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> Actually, Joe, I did Justified. I did have one other question I wanted to ask you, and this okay. is somewhat off topic. But another thing that folks may not know about you is you are something of a football historian. Uh, we had you on earlier on in the year prior to the launch of the USFL, kind of previewing what that could be. And a lot of the, you know, the the insight that you brought was historically you knew a lot about what the USFL was. And so forecasting in 2022, you had a really good perspective on what you thought it might could be. It's a great conversation for football fans who want to go back and check that out. Um, well, we got the USFL season under our belt. And I know it wasn't the sexiest looking product because of the way they played it all in Birmingham and a lot of times just empty, empty, empty seats. But all in all, what was your takeaway from the USFL year one? Were you impressed? Do you think it's worth keeping around? I was I was underwhelmed. I think the okay. XFL product was significantly better. Uh, them playing in Birmingham, I think you ruined the opportunity to spread awareness. And I know that they were trying to mitigate costs. It, it makes sense. But I, I underwhelmed. The broadcasts were pretty boring. The games were pretty boring. It was hard to, to keep track of. There were no stars that were marketable. You look at what the XFL hasn't even launched yet. And they're going for, for, for some big names in an attempt to, to boost things. Like, they're already... I believe they already signed Derek King to a contract uh, to, you know, to be a part of the upcoming draft. They are smart. They are being strategic. They need to go after the big name guys that can't stick on NFL rosters and they need to offer them money. And I think the XFL is it's going to beat out the SFL again. We will see. And, and, I'm, I'm waiting to see on that because the USFL is owned by Fox and those pockets go way deeper than even the rocks go. Yeah. So. And and I will add one of the things. So I had season tickets to the Battlehawks in the XFL, and frankly, I loved watching those games live. They were exciting, and I think They're that's fun. the that's the thing that the XFL chose to do, which the USFL didn't. And that was the we're going to try the strange rules. The US, the XFL kickoff, for example, I think should be adopted by every level of football. It's safer and more exciting. And a number of their other things uh, uh, to create excitement on every play, even the standard, you know, okay, we're just going to have a pun. It's going to end up in a, in a, mm. uh, you know, a fair catch. Well, it's really kind of hard for that to happen sometimes in the way they had it structured. I think what the XFL chose to do is not only were we going to have good football, not only are we going to get, you know, the exciting players that we can, we're going to consciously choose to be an experimental, a rules experiment place. Mm -hmm. And all of our experiments are focused on more fun for the fans. 
Yep. All righty, guys. Well, on that note, I think we're going to go ahead and let the man get gone. We had him for 30 seconds, and we've burned quite a bit more than that because he's a gracious dude that way. Uh, folks, one more time, go check him out. He is Joe DeLeon. You can find him on the NFL Draft Prospects podcast, also the FCS podcast. Uh, we've got links uh, in the show notes to Believe Podcast Network. Just go there. You can find all of his stuff right there. Uh, tune in on Apple, Google Play, you know, Spotify, all the usual suspects, and they live stream on YouTube. So go find them there. Joe, Joe, always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for coming on and rapping college football with us, dude. It was a good time. Of course, thanks, thanks very much guys for having me. That's going to take us down to our halftime, which is where we give a big shout out to our uh, presenting sponsor. That is, of course, the fine folks at Chris Kennedy Publishing. Go to chriskennedypublishing.com. Check out their books, their series, and authors, and all that good stuff, man. It's freebies, it's information. They got podcasts, they got books, they got book deals, they got audio. Like they're a full service suite, man. CKP, they are all about it. ChrisKennedyPublishing.com. Uh, let's see here. We just had a show back on Tuesday. This was kind of a wonky month. And so we kind of paid a little shout out to New Mythology Press, Embers and Ash. This week, though, uh, this episode, we're heading back to the Four Horsemen universe for our other big new release of the week. And that is, of course, The Lion's Pride from Chris Kennedy and Marisa Wolf. Rob, what can you tell me about this new uh, 4HU novel, bud? No other human is more enigmatic than the lion on the african savannah the male lion is the lord who watches over his family while the females of the clan do the real work joel the lion lions thought that owning a mercenary company would be similar he could sit back and allow the lioness to run the pride everything would go well money from successfully completed contracts would flow like water into his bank accounts and everything would be as easy as it had been for him when he'd owned a chain of highly successful restaurants it's easy to be full of pride when everything is going your way but when he runs afoul of pipo the vitanyo who is arguably the most successful mercenary general in galactic history he finally meets his match someone who is every bit the master of logistics he is and Lyons is brought low. The true measure of a man isn't in never being knocked down, though. It's in what you do when you are. When Pipo leaves him for dead on the battlefield, will the lion slink away from the galactic spotlight? Or will he get back up again and let the galaxy hear him roar? Oh, yeah. Other stuff happening at Chris Kennedy Publishing this week. Uh, we've got brand new stuff from the Fallen World and Audio. This is in the form of Wildcat, Foreclosure of a Dream from William Joseph Roberts. Hillbilly! Love that guy. Go check that out. It's read, as always, by the incredibly talented Mark Boyette, who does a splendid job on the Fallen World stuff. Uh, other things happening around CKP. Obviously, lots of shows continuing to rock and roll over on the CKP YouTube channel. So, uh, Producer Jeremy, all the crew who's kind of bringing that to you, uh, definitely go check them out. Most of those shows are live, guys. So, interesting with the authors they're there to take your questions be involved and talk to you uh, because hey man we, we love to hear from you guys so again check that out over on the ckp youtube channel and then lastly launch team readers are needed for the newest book in the anesian convergence series from mike wyatt jr uh, this one is called the futility of intent so if you're interested in being one of the early readers for that book go to chriskennedypublishing.com shoot them a message let them know you heard about it from us and uh, get signed up for the launch team on that well, that's going to wrap our halftime segment, which takes us into our new segment that we just kind of call 
air it out. It is um, really kind of a hybrid of our news and white flag segments that we kind of did in the old format. Just trying to streamline things, make the shows a little bit more bite-sized for you guys. Uh, We may talk about projects and stuff that we've got going on, uh, book stuff, edits, updates, that sort of thing, con schedules, all of that will happen in this segment. Or it could just be stuff that we feel like talking about in current events, whether it's sports-related or cooking or whatever. It's just kind of a hodgepodge, aired-out kind of segment. So, uh, Rob, I'm going to start with you, man. What do you got going on tonight? What are you going to burn up as your topic on Aired Out? <laughs> nice segue. You like that? I'm on fire tonight, baby. Like, seriously, man, I am bringing it tonight. Uh, just out of curiosity, uh, can you enable quickly me sharing uh, the screen? Ah, it's a little tricky. Little, okay, little tricky so never mind. Never mind. Yeah. Uh, I've got, uh, I have a picture of the new baby in the house. Mm-hmm. All right, I, put it I up on out. the socials. Go look at Rob Howe's Twitter account or Facebook page, and you I'll will see what he's talking socials. about. There I'll you go. put it up on the socials. Tag it with dude to Niper Space, like I so often do. Uh, so I went to Cabela's before I went to Penzik and was like, oh, la, 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 I need this and that for camping. And, oh, this is something I haven't seen before, and I should have. And I've wanted one for a while. And what it is, is that it's a combination grill and griddle. And they're full size. I mean, it's two foot square on the yeah. grill, which is perfect size for me and my wife. And then a two foot square griddle. And I went and looked and, and there are others out there now that have that. I should have looked for this before, but none <laughs> of them are like it, big. But this one is yours. Right. <laughs> uh, and so I went and got it. And the only one they had was the um, display model. And it had a dent, a couple of dents in it, and there's some rust on the on the cast iron griddle part, which uh, I don't care about the dents and the rust. I can right. clean that off with oil and a, a, a Brillo pad, no no big deal. And they're like, "Well, we can give you a discounted price." I'm like, "Sold!" And this way, I don't have to assemble it. So I am so yeah. excited this weekend. I'm going to be making omelets and 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 grilling bacon. Uh, on a flat surface, like God intended, like how I learned, you know, at the to be a short order cook, I've been wanting an actual full size griddle that I can get my my bigger spats that I weren't trained on, and I can get in there and I can do the things. I'm going to be doing pancakes. I'm going to be doing th- if awesome. it can be grilled, I'm going to be doing it, and I am so excited to get it, especially. At when I looked at it before Penzig, it was three fifty, and I ended up getting it for like two forty. So I am awesome. <laughs> I am that, ecstatic. That is an awesome deal. Yeah, <laughs> that's we had, my uh, my new baby. <laughs> we had a friend of mine actually that I used to hang out with back in my law enforcement days. Um, it was like the Emerald, the redneck Emerald Agassi man. Like any every year when we went to Talladega, everybody wanted to be at his camp because he was going to cook. So while everybody else was doing burgers and dogs, we were doing fillet with lobster tail. I mean, you name it. He made some badass Philly cheesesteak sandwiches on exactly the type of setup that you're yeah, talking you can about, do, dude. You can do that. You can do – I mean, we made stir-fry in a pan tonight, but I can do stir-fry and and I can do – I mean, so many things. It's, it's the eggs, though. I will say it's the eggs that are the big thing because, for me, I learned how to do eggs yeah. with a certain kind of spatula on a certain kind of griddle. And I can't get the spatula to fit in any pan to be able to do the kind of flipping tricks from the side, how I learned. And so eggs, which had been a nuisance, are now suddenly, well, all right then. Awesome. And I have to say the Cabela one is incredibly well designed. You'll see the pictures. What looks to be um, side tables, they work as side tables, but what they really are are they flip up top and they cover it, uh, which a lot of the griddles don't have any cover at all over yeah. 
over them. So it flips up and it covers both sides to protect it, or it can work as a table. I really am impressed with the design of this thing so far. Ah. So we'll see how it works, of course, but I'm, I'm ecstatic so far. Awesome. George Jacobs, who listens to this show, friend of the program, we <laughs> hang out with him at cons and stuff. Uh, George, if you were listening to this, and I hope that you are, uh, feel free to shoot us an email, man, or shoot us up, hit us up on social, something like that. Let us know if you've got one of these. Uh, George and his wife are, are pretty awesome about sharing recipes and stuff on social media. So uh, anybody for that matter, man, if you guys got a recipe that Rob needs to try on his new gadget, dude, hit us up, throw a hashtag dudes in hyperspace on there and let us know, you know, let us know that we you, you want to talk to us. We're always about some new cooking ideas, big time. So, Kevin, how about you, man? What do you got going on for Air It Out? Well, it's almost, you know, this might be a, a pet peeve thing or so. I don't know what, what this is called. Uh-oh. So, so this might be, it might've been an on the stump segment at one yeah, point. Yeah, it might've been. <laughs> Listen, it's, it's, it's known amongst people that know us that my wife and I are looking for some land. We're looking for, yeah. for a big plot of land farther from town. Uh, we live in a small town, but it has encroached upon us from the interstate over the last 16 years. And so we just got to get the heck out of Dodge. Um, so we're looking for some land, found some about 45 miles north of us in the mountains, down in a valley in a hollow, and it's perfect. It is literally surrounded on three sides by federal land, millions of acres of federal land. Nobody can move in on you. Right? Awesome. 35 acres, um, and it's perfect. The problem is the current owner, the last sentence in, the, in all the ads for the house for sale, land for sale, says the current owner is going to put restrictions on the deed to limit how many more homes can be put on this land. Listen, if people like me who have the means and the ability to move out and get away from people, unless I see them at cons and stuff, I want to get away. I want to be surrounded by nothing. Yeah. Okay. Are the type of individuals that there is no way in hell you're going to tell me what to do with my land once it's mine. Right. That place has been sitting on the market for 150 days and ain't nobody buying it because the people that have the means and desires to live that lifestyle, are not putting up with that crap. Yeah. So if you're going to sell it, don't be sticking dang restrictions on it after you don't own it anymore. That is ridiculous. Kevin Stevenson wants to build his tower, ladies and gentlemen. That is happening. Yeah, there's no way. But, I mean, you're not going to tell me what to do with my land once it's mine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Kevin Stevenson with Orthanc overlooking and building its own tribe of orcs. That's right. <laughs> you know, that's, that's like homeowners associations. Never, never will I be oh, no. where that has yeah. those period. Yeah. Well, it's listen, it's and, and I, I much prefer to live in an area that doesn't have an HOA as well. What I will say, though, is only downside to not having an HOA is you do have kind of what you have in my neighborhood, which is you have uh, thankfully the vast majority of people in this 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 area here, uh, they keep up their houses. The lawns look great, like it's trimmed, it's mowed, it's it's clean, it looks good, right? But then you got some people, man, it's it's straight up. I mean, Christmas lights are still up in August. You know, there may or may not be a fake reindeer laying on his side in the yard. There's a boat, like five trucks parked in the yard. Like it's it Listen, can get they'll, a little, they'll, little seedy, man. They'll pick up that reindeer when it's time to target practice with their bow hunting <laughs> season right. coming. Don't worry about see, it. That's right. Bow season is right around the corner. <laughs> well, I am uh, on my little stretch of aired out tonight. I'm really excited about doing a whole lot of nothing next week. Um, listen, it's been the last year has been awesome. I got to come home. It's been awesome to be back in Florida. There have been 
cookouts. There have been family get togethers and things that I've been able to be a part of that I've been away from the last 12 years living in North Carolina. It's been awesome to be back in that, but there's also been a lot of transition from, you know, moving out of the house in North Carolina into a townhouse in Lynn Haven, Florida, selling a house in North Carolina amidst all of the craziness that was the housing market last year. And then, you know, getting out of that house in Lynn Haven, trying to buy a house here in Panama City, which was a, a crazy shot in and of itself, getting into that, buying a house that did what we needed it to do from a housing standpoint, but that still needed quite a bit of work, particularly on the outside in the lot and in the exterior. There's been massive construction projects, massive trees removed. Like it's been a lot. And then traveling for cons, doing a lot of the other stuff that we're doing, trying to run podcasts, trying to write a book. It's just been a lot. We've had some family stuff that's gone on, new pets. Like it's been, it's been a very, very, very busy 12 months. And I told my wife, I said, before season is over and before college football starts, I'm taking a week and I'm unplugging from the grid. I'm going, going to Tallahassee. I'm catching up with some folks that I haven't had a chance to really see much of the last few years. My sister and I are going to go out and grab dinner together, just the two of us, no family, no kids, no nothing, just the two of us and grab, grab some, you know, some food and some drinks and just catch up. And, um, I've been needing a little of that, man. You know, I listened to, um, the uh, Writer Dojo podcast with Larry Correa and Steve Diamond, which is a fabulous show uh, for the for the other writers in this audience who listen to ours. Man, if you're not paying attention to Writer Dojo, that's a great one to know. But they talked about this whole notion of sharpening the saw. And both of you guys as writers and, and full-time uh, you know, grandfathers and full-time workers, and you guys can appreciate this too, there does come a point in time when as much as you want to sit down and grind – the best thing that you can do for not only yourself and your work is just take a few days to yourself and unplug and go just do life and enjoy some laid back time. And then when you come back, you're fresh and you're ready to get after it. That's what I'm looking forward to next week. Big, 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 big time. So uh, you guys got any thoughts on that before I go ahead and get ready to throw some closing credits to get us out of here. This whole notion of just taking a little bit of time to yourself, Rob, I know that means something to you from time to time, just to kind of throw it into neutral and catch your breath. And then you can get back to doing what you got to do. And that's, that's exactly me this week. I've done work, some work this week, but it's all been, this has to get done this week right. so that, you know, it was a, a huge and, ordeal for you. Yeah. And, and yeah, but I planned for that. Like I knew, like today is the first day that I felt like really living my life normally since since I got back. The drive back is 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 challenging. I come back and I've I've just spent two days essentially having torn down and uh, and driven, and my body's like, you really shouldn't eat that much bad food that yeah. quickly. And 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 I talk about this a lot. Uh, several years ago, I came home from Penzik and didn't contemplate this. And I went through the spiral of, I couldn't, I said, okay, I mean, it was my, one of my best years. I'd finished a book. I'd written a short story. I I'd sold at cons. I had done so much great stuff. I came home and said, okay, well, I'm going to start the next book. And I didn't get a thousand words written. And so the next day it was like, well, you suck. You didn't get a thousand words written. And then the next day I still was tired and I had the you suck going in my head and I didn't get anything written. And it was, you really suck. And, and then you are just a sucktastic guy after three or four days of not yeah. getting anything written. I didn't give myself the chance to sharpen the saw, like what you're talking about. I didn't give myself a chance to breathe. And because of that, I lost three weeks when I should have lost one. Yeah. Like I've lost this week. I wrote 400 words since last week. 
I, I big, you know, nothing essentially. I did the maintenance level work, the neutral stuff that has to get done to get stuff going through the channels because of timing issues, mm-hmm. you know, like cover art and for other people and some editing and stuff like that. And, and handled all the emails, but I knew that to be the case because if you don't take that time off, you're really screwing yourself because at some point you start getting down on yourself. And if you get down on yourself and it's a normal fatigue reason, yeah, then yeah, it's going to cost you so much more than just taking a, a week off. Yep. Absolutely. Kev, you got anything you like to do, man? I mean, do you ever hit that wall when it's just like, dude, I just got to, I need a break for a minute just to breathe and I'll get back to this in 48 hours or a week or whatever it is. But for right now, just need a little bit of time, a little bit of chill. You got, you ever hit those moments? And if so, kind of what's your remedy? Do, um, I'm a reader. And so there'll be, there'll be times when I'll take a day and I'll just read. I won't write anything. It won't be anything of mine. I'll read, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'll go sit on the back. We've got an upper back deck here in the house. Uh, and I'll sit out on the back deck with Stacy and we'll just sit out there for two, three hours. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, doing nothing. And there are days when I do zero and I, and I mean, I'm, I'm doing CKPI stuff. We got in a couple of days, we have 70 books out. I do uh, my own stuff. I've got people writing in my universe. You know, yep. I've already been published eight times this year right. uh, with short stories and stuff, but, but there are times when I will just take a day and that's it. I'm not doing anything and I yep. will shut down all of it because you have to, it yep. doesn't do me any good to build up all this, to build up my universe, to do all these things, stick all this money in the bank, all that great stuff. If I'm not going to be around to enjoy it years from now, because I let myself get unhealthy and, you know, yep, you know, I, I already had that, the whole issue with, you know, had to get the stents and, and mm-hmm. the Widowmaker almost got me and all that kind of stuff. So I, you know, I'm just, I'll take some time. Absolutely. You know, I want wait. you around for many, many years bragging about your damn Georgia Bulldogs. Oh yeah. They're, all well, the time. <laughs> Don't get them started, Rob. Don't get them started, man. Don't I think that's that a good bear. time for you to end the show. Don't poke that bear. All right, guys, I did not mention this at the outset of, of uh, Aired Out, and I got to apologize to our sponsors for that. They are the sponsors for our Podmail segment, and they now sponsor our Aired Out segment. And that's, of course, the International Association of Science Fiction and Fantasy Authors. Be sure you slide over there to IASFA.org. Check out their website. Starting, I believe, it's this week, uh, they've got a big fantasy short story giveaway. So if you're interested in getting involved in that, who doesn't love free books, man, particularly when gas is still north of $4 a gallon in a lot of places. And God help you if you freaking got to use diesel. Um, but go, go over there and check them out. IASFA.org. Make sure you sign up for the mailing list. Every time they email you, it's good stuff. They don't spam you, man. Every time I get an email from them, I know there's some goodies in that waiting for me in the form of some really quality information. And likewise, if you're not a reader, if you're another writer, IASFA is a great place to be, man. You get to build network with folks, meet other writers, build community, learn more about your craft. Who knows, man, maybe you get a collaboration out of it, writing a Four Horsemen Universe book one day. You never know. It all starts with growing community. And IASFA, International Association of Science Fiction and Fantasy Authors, that's what they're there to do, is to be that unifier and that association that brings writers and readers together. Because we all love the stories and we all love to make them and we all love to read them. So again, website one more time, IASFA.org, International Association of Science Fiction and Fantasy Authors. Those folks are awesome. So make sure you go support them. 
That's going to do it for this episode of the Dudes in Hyperspace podcast. Thank you again to Joe DeLeon for coming on board. One more time, he is the host of the NFL Draft Prospects podcast and the FCS Football podcast. So make sure you go check out those uh, shows just in time for college football season. Coming up next, I believe we're going to be previewing the NFL season. So a little back-to-back action for you football fans in the uh, listening audience. I can see Rob smiling as we speak about that one. So uh, we'll we'll be getting on board with that. Uh, As always, if you want to support this show, there's a number of ways you can do it, man. On YouTube, like the videos, subscribe to the channel. That helps to bump us up through the rankings. If you're listening to us via the audio on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc., a lot of those places will let you leave five stars. And if they will, do it to it, man. Leave us a review. That also helps uh, bump us up in the rankings so people who aren't necessarily looking for us can find us. On behalf of Rob Howe, Kevin Stevenson, I am Ian J. Malone, and we'll see you next time on the Dudes in Hyperspace podcast. See ya.